I can say something shortly about myself, I guess. Uh, I'm, my name is Joachim, yeah, and I'm half Swedish, half Norwegian, number three of five siblings. And when I was 17 years old, God changed the highest goal of my life, you know, from winning soccer games and, you know, uh, becoming a professional soccer player to working for God and, you know, winning souls for his kingdom. And, uh, yeah, I, I love to, to preach and teach and to work for God. And, uh, and I love the spirit, spirit of prophecy. And uh, I think, yeah, the, the theme for these three workshops is the most essential and attacked gift. The most essential and attacked gift of the Remnant Church. And uh, yeah, it will be three sessions, 60 plus 60 plus 90 minutes. And uh, basically we'll have, it will be today, tomorrow and on Monday. And it's basically three things, three parts uh, in what we will look at. We'll begin to look at how we can be sure Ellen White is a prophet. I believe it's very important to have confidence uh, in that she really indeed is inspired by God. So we'll start with that. And uh, then we'll look at the importance of her writings. Uh, the importance and uh, yeah, the necessity, I believe, of her writings. And then we will, the last part, uh, very interesting part, also very important part, I believe, is the foretold uh, attack on her writings. How it would be uh, yeah, attacked in the time uh, of the end. Um, so... Yeah, but before we, before we get into this, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity. And we just pray that you may, you may lead us uh, with your spirit. Lead us into more and more truth. Help us to understand more of who you are and what you tell us uh, through your word. I just pray that you may, you may lead. Uh, you see, it's many things that could be said on this topic. I pray that you may lead us to be able to come through and cover uh, what you want to be covered in this, this time we will have uh, together. Thank you that you will, you will lead us and you will do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, I'm very glad that, I'm glad that you're here because I believe this is very important things we will look at. I believe these things we will look at actually... Um, what, or what you will learn in this workshop, I think it actually can save uh, your eternal life, actually. Or uh, someone, the, save the life, the eternal life of someone in the sphere of your influence, family, friends, or, uh, or something. This is some very important things we look at. Um, before we go into the first part here, how we can be sure that is appropriate, I want us to just look a little bit uh, about the gift of prophecy in general uh, in the Bible. And we are going to, to, to learn uh, or lo look at four main points uh, before we get into the first part. The first thing I want us to, to talk a little bit about is what is a prophet? What is a prophet? You know, it's good if we look at the gift of prophecy, if we will, you know, talk about the gift of prophecy, it's good to know what is it, you know, to kind of have a, some kind of a definition of what a prophet is. So what is it? What would you say? What is a prophet? Any thoughts? <laughs> what is a prophet? A person who comes in about the future is usually an answer for that. A person that can tell about the future. Welcome. Other thoughts? What is a prophet? Um, I mean, the future that this person tells about has to be has to come from God and it must not be, um, yeah, nobody else can, can foretell it. Uh -huh. So I could say, well, the interest rates um, of, yeah, they could rise or they will rise and I could be right. Yeah, yeah. so you can say it could, you know, with quite pro high probability this will happen, but a prophet it's the one that knows, yeah, yeah or that says, says for sure. Yeah. Uh, if I have understood right, the one of the most important thing of prophet is speech. God's people uh, throughout what he gets from the God. It's not only telling the future. The future is kind of like the only side part. Mm. The more more important is keep the God's people on the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that is a very good answer. That it's it's not only yeah, it's 
talking for God. Basically, I think often we think about prophecies, and I think that is an important part of it, you know, foretelling the future, and that is, you know, we see that a lot through the gift of prophecy. But I think the, the definition is in a way even wider than that. I think simply said, a prophet is a, is a spokesperson for God. A prophet is a spokesperson for God. That is the first thing we will we'll notice. Uh, we'll look at four things about the gift of prophecy. And, you know, if you just look at the word that is used in the Bible, actually, the Hebrew word is nabi, spokesman, it means, or speaker. So that's the word, like in, even in, its wor- in the word that is used, it kind of communicates uh, that this is what a prophet is. The Greek word also similar, it's called prophetess, uh, one who speaks forth. So I think a good definition about what a prophet is, and, uh, is he is a spokesperson uh, for God. Okay, so you can say, you know, a priest speaks to God on behalf of the people, but a prophet speaks to the people on behalf of God. A priest speaks to, to God on behalf of the people. A prophet speaks to, to the people on behalf of God. Uh, but then you could say, okay, if this is the definition of a prophet, are we not all spokespersons for God? Uh, you know, for sure we are. The uh, Bible is very clear on that. All disciples are, in a way, his ambassadors and a spokesperson for him. So, but then what is the difference? You know, what is the difference of a pastor, uh, an evangelist, uh, and a prophet? What would you say? What is, what is the difference, really? All of them are spokespersons for God, right? Well, we know the will of God from the scriptures and from the Holy Spirit, but we don't have necessarily explicit visions. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So if someone stands up and speaks... It's, it's based on the word and not kind of on dreams, yeah? Yeah, other thoughts? What is the difference? It's kind of interesting, like Paul had visions and stuff, but he we don't call him as a prophet or uh, such, uh-huh. even though he could be. Actually, I think he is a prophet, Paul. Because yeah. he got vision and dreams from God yeah, and he, he, he wrote his fired parts of, of the Bible. But yeah, he, we, we usually don't call him a prophet, maybe, always. How about John the baptizer? Isn't he called the biggest prophet? Yeah. And how many vision we got from him? Oh, we don't know. Though. Yeah, yeah, and he has written nothing in the Bible. It's interesting, very interesting. Anyway, I think kind of the core of the, the core difference or the, 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 the key difference uh, between a pastor, you know, evangelist and a prophet, that is inspiration and authority. Inspiration and authority. You know, God speaks very directly to prophets through visions and dreams. You know, he re- revealed things to them that, it un- that is unknown to others. Uh, so therefore, you know, when a prophet stands up to share something, stands up to share a message, uh, you know, the message he shares is not his own message, but the message of God. You know, sure, many times, and hopefully most of the times, you know, when someone stands up and preach, you know, a pastor, evangelist, or whatever, when I stand up and preach and teach, that is also a message from God. But it's not necessarily always the case that all of it is really from God and is really true because we, we find all the time right it's quite easy to find statements from pastors and evangelists that is actually contradicting each other so in other words all of this can't be from God uh, in other words they are not inspired in the same sense uh, as prophets you know it's like if a pastor tells you something you know if a pastor tells you man you should go and you know study to become a doctor uh, is that true should you do that is that the will of God? Not necessarily, right? It could be, uh, but it's not sure. But if a prophet would tell you, you know, you should become a pastor, you know, we can trust that, okay, this guy stands up and says, man, God has showed me, you know. Yeah, yeah. But actually, I think a prophet is very interesting. We'll come back a little bit to, to some of this later. But Ellen White, uh, she says that she didn't dare actually to give religious counsel if she had not received light, if she wrote a letter, if she wrote something like that, she never did it on a religious subject if she had not received light on the topic. In other words, she only shared things that was inspired by God. When she gave some occasions on common things, like just common ordinary things, she said things without being you know, inspired by God. But anyway, we'll come back to this uh, later a little bit. Um, so, and also the authority question, right? When a pastor or a man preached, you know, he does it based on 
you know, the Bible or, you know, inspired writings, that is where he has his authority. He doesn't have authority outside of that. He doesn't have it from dreams and visions and other things. So inspiration and authority, I think, is the main difference uh, uh, for prophets and, and uh, yeah, other people. Okay, how, how do you know what you know about God? What would you say? How do you know the things you know about God? It's different sources for our knowledge about God and his will for us. What would you say? What, what are, which different sources do we have for, for knowing about that? Doug? We have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Bible and Holy Spirit, yeah. Uh, but also nature can, uh, can show us a lot of God. Uh-huh. Nature can show us things about God, yeah. Other things? On experience. On experience, yeah. Answered prayers, for example. Yeah, answer to prayers. True. These things also teaches us thing about God, other things. There's one missing. What do you say? One, one missing? <laughs> you know, I don't one know. One is missing, but I don't know it. There are other people. There are other people, yeah. The Holy Spirit, but just indirectly. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's true. Uh, you have it. You have one more. No, uh, I don't. No, that one is good. The other people. Ah, okay. <laughs> now, in the end, everything is from God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it's true, it's from God. Yeah, I think. You know, God, He tells us things. He communicates to us in different ways. Uh, about himself and, and his will. God has spoken audibly. He has communicated with some face-to-face. You know, to the high priest, he communicated through the Urim and Thummim. To others, he has sent angels. And many times, he has spoken through visions and dreams. What is Urim and Thummim? Uh, that is basically uh, what the priest had, like, very directly God showed... Yeah, in the sanctuary, you know, sometimes on different questions, yes or no, kind of, through this. Uh, I don't know exactly. It was like stones, I think, on, on the breastplate. Like, you could see where the light was, or, yeah. It doesn't say very, a lot about it, I think. I don't remember so much, but, yeah. And other times, you know, but, but, but however, you know, the most common way God has been communicating to us or to human beings is through the prophets, via the prophets. Uh, you know... Prophets, that is our, this is our second thing we will learn about the gift of prophecy. Prophets are God's main way to communicate to his people. Prophecy is God's main way to communicate with his people. If you think about it, I think we know it, actually. You know, because I think I, I, I can say with confidence that the major, or like, uh, most of what all of us know about God is actually because of the gift of prophecy. That is the, the main source for everything we know about God. I think all the other things you mentioned is also, you know, can teach us things about God. But most of what we know about God, all of us, is through the prophets. The, prophet, the prophetic gift, the gift of prophecy, is God's main way to communicate to his people. Therefore, in other words, of course, it's, this is a very important gift, a very important uh, thing. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you have ever wished uh, that God, you know, would send an annual or that he would maybe, you know, write something on the skies or, or uh, make it really clear what he wants you to do, you know, where to go, what to study, what to work with, uh, or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but that is usually not how God is doing it. That is usually not how he's doing it. And I think, I will not talk much about that, but I think one reason for that is if he would, if he would speak clearly through visions or dreams, or, or, you know, yeah, or through an annual or whatever, it wouldn't really make a difference. It wouldn't really make a difference because we see examples of that, right? Jesus, he raised up Lazarus, for instance. You know, it didn't lead them to change their mind and to believe. The main thing is actually, if we really want to find the truth, God will lead us. He has promised to lead us and show us what to do. And I think also, you know, he wants us to learn trust in him and to, to walk by faith and things like this. And use our brains. What do you say? Use our brains, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. because if have you ever experienced if you are looking for a vocabulary uh, and you have no dictionary with you and nobody else knows it right now and you're really wondering, you want to know it. Well, I knew it. And then you're asking yourself all the time and then half an hour later somebody tells you 
and then you will definitely remember that vocabulary because you have been wondering all the time. But if you have a list of 10 words and the teacher wants you to learn it by heart, then you will have to struggle all the time. You need to repeat it and repeat it. And after you have written the, the test, then you have forgotten it again. So this is the most sustainable way of learning. That's hmm. why you, know, you have this aha effect. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's look at some verses. We will read some verses about the gift of prophecy. Uh, you can come with me to, we learn, here we will learn our two next lessons. Come with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, one other verse, we will not take time to read it, but it's in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. There it says that uh, the, the prophetic gift is the... Um, foundation of the church actually uh, so it's a very important gift for sure uh, Ephesians 4 I'll read verse 11 through 14 here it says and he himself gave some to apostles some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue, stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Okay, so this is one of the list with you know the gifts the spiritual gifts of the church and uh, it talks about you know it mentions you know apostles and, and prophets evangelists pastors teachers you know we have like pastors right we have pastors in the in the church today right we have teachers in the church today uh, what about apostles what is an apostle it's actually it's someone that is planting a church you know like kind of Starts up a church. Uh, we have that today as well. Like we have, we have these uh, gifts in the church today, right? But what about prophets? Uh, gift of prophecy. All the other gifts we have today, uh, at least we, we like quite easy find that in the church today. But one thing we notice here, it talks about these gifts, and uh, then it says. Uh, that this will be in verse 13 till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Uh, we will have this basically this, these gifts in the church until this happens, until we all come in you know unity into in the full measure or the fullness of Christ. Uh, has this happened yet? You think in the church? I think. It will not happen before ascension, before you know Jesus comes back. So, with other words, I think we can expect to see all these gifts in the church, also the gift of prophecy, you know, until the end of time. We can expect to see this gift also in the time of the end, you know, uh, of also after the time of the Bible, right? And this is, of course, I think in perfect agreement with other uh, passages of, of of the Bible. For instance, Jesus, right? He warned Matthew twenty-four talking about the time of the end, he warned against false prophets. It will be false prophets in the time of the end. Now, that statement actually tells us, I believe it implies, that there will be true prophets in the future, after the time of the Bible, right? If Jesus, do you think Jesus knew if he would come true prophets or not? For sure, like he would know that if he talks about these things, like foretelling the future. And if he knew that it would not be any more, uh, there would not be any more uh, true prophets, he will just say, don't listen to prophets. There will not be any more prophets, you know. But he didn't say that because I think he knew that there would also come true prophets. So therefore he warned against the false ones. You need to be sure that you listen to the right one, you know. So anyway, we can expect to see this gift in the church until the end of time. Uh, what else in this passage we read? This is a very some important verses on the gift of prophecy. I think. What are these gifts for? What is the gift of prophecy for? What is the purpose? What does it say in this passage? 
to the holy people. I mean, the people can uh, can do what they are supposed to do. Yes. Yes, for the equipping of the saints, it says here, for the work of ministry, it will kind of strengthen them to to uh, help them to do what they are called to do. That is one thing. Other things. What more? What is the purposes of the of the gift of prophecy and all the, all the other gifts as well? Edifying the body of Christ, yeah. I want to notice one more thing. That's verse 14. It says, So we, sh- we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Uh, and, you know, by deceitful plotting and these kind of things. So we don't have to be tossed to and fro by all these false doctrines, all these, you know, different teachings. It's very interesting, Right. We know through the Bible that in the time of the end there will be more religious confusion than ever before, right? You know, we have false prophets, false teachers, all these kind of things. So if this is one of the purposes of the gift of prophecy, to help us stay strong, you know, to have a foundation, to know what is true and not believe all these false, you know, teachings and that leading people away from God, uh, more than ever before we should need this gift, right, in, in, the, in the end. Uh, so for sure we can expect, I believe, to see this gift also in the time of the end. Um, let's uh, go to Corinthians. So we just go a little bit to the left before Ephesians and Galatians. First Corinthians chapter 1. And we will read here verse 4 through 7. First Corinthians chapter 1. And we will read 4 through 7. Okay. Here, here it says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ has confirmed uh, in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ." Paul writes here to the church of Corinth and he talks to, writes to this church and he writes about how they should come short of no gift while they are waiting for the return of Christ. As long as you know, we are waiting for Christ, as long as we are still here before Christ comes back, we will have all the gifts. We will not come short of any gift uh, that God has given the church. And it's interesting, do you know how many lists of spiritual gifts do we have in the Bible? Does anyone know? Three? Yeah, that's uh, kind of right. It's three different places. One place is mentioned twice. You have it in, in uh, Romans 12, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, and uh, what is it? Ephesians 4, yeah, that we just read. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you, you have the list kind of repeated twice. Um, four places, uh, or three places, four times. And it's very interesting. The only gift that is mentioned in all these four, you know, lists. It's a little bit different how they are, you know, what is listed actually in these gifts, in this list. The only gift that is mentioned in all four occasions, all three places, all four, you know, times they are talked about. Which gift do you think that is? <laughs> it's a leading question, right? It's the gift of prophecy. Very interesting. This is the only gift that is mentioned in all the lists. But not only that. It's also always mentioned either first in the list or second in the list. Either first or second. I think one time it's, at, it's mentioned as the second one. Uh, so I think this shows us <coughs> that this is, I believe, I think we could say, and this is our fourth lesson. Here we have you know, this, the, or the third one here on, on, the, on the screen. I think we can say this is the most essential gift. This tells us of all the gifts to the church, the gift of prophecy is the most essential gift, the most important or the most powerful, is maybe a better word, uh, gift to the church. And if you think about it, you know, think about this. If you could choose, you know, for your church, between having a pastor or a prophet, what would you choose? <laughs> it would be, I hope we would, we would say a prophet, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe it would be a little bit scary, you know. 
I don't know, maybe because of that, some people would not choose a prophet. It's maybe uncomfortable. It's not always they wanted to listen to Ellen White, right? For instance, when she was here, they sent her to Australia and stuff. So maybe some people, I talked with a friend of mine not so long ago, I asked him if he had read the testimonies, the first testimonies, and said, not so much because he kind of, it kind of was a little bit scary, he thought, you know, it's so like, so much authority in there, you know, kind of prophetic authority, just when he reads it, it's just, you know, smelling out, no, I don't know how to say it in English, oser of prophetic authority, he said. Anyway, uh, but I think for sure, like imagine if we could, if we would get that choice, we could choose between a prophet or a teacher or a prophet or a pastor, uh, and we would uh, choose a prophet. Imagine like you sit in your church and you are planning, you know, for, for mission work in the city you live and then, you know, the prophet, he says, you know, you should have a, you should organize a health expo in the end of September. And then after that, you should have some evangelistic meetings, you know, and then follow that up by a Bible study group. And as a result of that, three people will be baptized, you know, two years afterwards. You know, that would be quite powerful if you had a guy like that in your church board, you know, planning for mission, planning, t talking about what to do. Man, for sure, this would be a great help. Uh, if this church, if you, if you would have a, you know, a prophet in your church, and if you would hear and heed his counsels, man, this church would really start to prosper. It would go from you know, strength to strength, from glory to glory. It is, the gift of prophecy is the most essential gift. So four, four lessons, uh, generally about the gift of prophecy, what I think we see in the Bible, a prophet is a spokesperson for, for God. Prophets are God's main way to communicate. It is the most essential gift, the most powerful gift. And this gift will be in the church until the second coming. Okay, we'll come back to some of this a little bit uh, tomorrow. Uh, so we'll see if you remember uh, these things. But we will we'll go a little bit deeper in, in the importance of some of these things. Anyway, what we'll do now is we will look at, not only I think the Bible tells us that we can expect to see the, the, the gift of prophecy, you know, until the end. But specifically, actually, I think we see even more spe specifically how we will expect to see it in the remnant people of God, in the, uh, you know, God's people in the very, in the very end, in the God's uh, remnant church. Come with me to the book of Revelation, book of Revelation chapter 12. Um, and we'll read here verse 17. Uh, very important verse for us as Adventists that I hope you are uh, familiar with. If not, I hope you will get familiar with it. Uh, here it says, 12.17, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make w uh, war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Um, basically, Chapter 12 is a powerful chapter. It's basically, in short, the history of the people of God through you know, almost all uh, the history of the world. And then in the end of the chapter, it's talking about the rest of the woman, the rest of the people of God that is left in time of the end. And then we have you know, two very important characteristics here uh, that identifies who that remnant is, who this people of God in time of the end, the church of God in time of the end, what church that is. And uh, what is that? What is the, the identifications here? Keep, keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Testimony of Jesus Christ. Two uh, things, and if you just take two, these two things, uh, I think the only church that fits into these characteristics, actually, uh, really, or especially when you see it in the setting of the, the whole chapter, is the Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, anyway, I believe it's, it's important to be aware of or to understand the mission and identity of the church uh, and uh, basically yeah, what, the, what, what the Bible says about this movement uh, and the role this movement are to play. So if, you're not, if you don't know so much about it, one book I would really recommend you to read that is, explains this quite short book, quite easy to read, but re still very uh, thoroughly explains uh, why this church is the remnant of God. It's, uh, um, it's the book called The Remnant by Clifford Goldstein. Very good book. Anyway, uh, what is the testimony of Jesus Christ? 
And that is one of the things that identifies this group, people of God, the church of God in the time of the end. What is the uh, testimony of Jesus Christ? Jesus says, the writings of tes- testifying of me, yeah. And the prophets has written the yeah, yeah. So the prophets have written the testimonies, yeah. Some people would say, you know, that this is uh, not really, you know, I think you're right. I think it's the gift of prophecy. But some people would say, you know, this is, you know, this is like just testifying about Jesus, giving testimony, testi- you know, kind of witnessing. Some people would say that. And, and uh, But I think it's important to, to understand what this actually says and to, to really know and see what the Bible actually says about this. And I think if you go to, to chapter 19, uh, verse 10, first, chapter 19 and verse 10, um, yeah, uh, here it says, I have it on the screen here, and, it, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and, you, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Uh, and then it says, actually, I don't have the, re- the end of the verse up on the screen here. The testimony of, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, it says. Testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Um, but what makes it even clearer... That is actually, I, I will not use a lot of time on this because we have a lot of things we can uh, look at. But if you compare Revelation 19 and 10 with Revelation 22, 7 and 8, it's really clear what, this has to, what he is talking about. Because there you have almost uh, exactly the same situation. You know, John, he is so impressed with what he has seen, so he falls down by the feet of the angel and he wants to worship him, you know. Uh, almost the same words, the same phrase, phrase in almost the same way. And it says there, uh, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets. Do you see up in Revelation 19.10 here? It says, I am of your brethren. Okay, and then he explains who, what, what he means when he says, of your brethren. Those who have the testimony of Jesus. In Revelation 22, almost the exact same, you know, thing is communicated, but then it's, uh, or it's phrased in the, almost the exact same way, but then it says, I'm of your brethren, the prophets. Because actually what the Bible teaches, the testimony of Jesus, to have the testimony of Jesus, what John means when he writes that in the book of Revelation, is basically to ha- have the gift of prophecy. In other words, God's remnant people in the time of time, they will have a prophet among them. So we can expect to see the gifts of prophecy until the end, and specifically in the, in the church of God, in the time of the end, we can expect to see a prophet. Okay, we'll not use more time on this. Um, now, I want to introduce you to something uh, I call the prophetic sandwich. Okay, I, I want to introduce you to the prophetic sandwich. Anyone of you know about the prophetic sandwich, yeah? Okay, some, two of you, I think, yeah. Maybe some of you know about it without knowing the phrase. But anyway, uh, this, is, this is really cool. You have to see this. This is, I think, very interesting. And I can tell you, I can promise you, that this will be the most important sandwich that has ever been served you. Okay, so this will be a very good, good sandwich. And I can promise you, it is, it's a vegetarian sandwich. It's actually even a vegan sandwich. It's a very good, healthy, and good-tasting sandwich. <laughs> anyway, uh, come with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Um, Genesis chapter, chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And uh, we will read here verse 13 and verse 14. Uh, here it says, Genesis 15, 13 and 14, Then she called the name of the Lord. Oh, sorry, I read from chapter 16. Um, then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they, will, they shall come out with great possessions. 
So here, uh, basically, God communicates very clearly, very, you know, directly to Abraham. Abraham is a prophet of God. God communicates to him very, very, in a way he doesn't communicate to, to just regular people. And, and basically, he gives here him a prophecy, a time prophecy here. Uh, he tells him how his people or his descendants will be in affliction. Uh, he's prophesying the, the slavery of Egypt. How long will this be? What does it say? 400 years. So here we have Abraham, or later Abraham, and God gives him a time prophecy of 400 years. Now, by the end of that period, when this 400 years is about to, to, to you know, be over, what happens is, I will not, we will move through this quicker than I used to do. Uh, I will not take time to read all the texts because we have many things to look at. But anyway, what happens is God is raising up a new prophet. God is raising up Moses in the end of this time prophecy. And he, he, his work uh, is closely connected, you can say, also with, with this prophecy. Very interesting. So God raises up a prophet. He gives up Abraham a time prophecy. By the end of that time prophecy, God is raising up a new prophets. Now, we are going to see that this actually is a pattern. This way of working from God is actually a pattern we see several times, like all up through, you know, the history, the prophetic history. Very interesting. If we go to a second example, if we go to book of Jeremiah, book of Jeremiah chapter 29, and we'll read here verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 29 and we'll read verse 10. Here it says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Here God gives Jeremiah a time prophecy. He prophesies how the people of God, they will be in captivity in Babylon uh, for 70 years. So, new prophet, Jeremiah, gets a time prophecy, 70 years. And then guess what happens by the end of this time prophecy? Uh, God is raising up a new prophet, or actually several prophets. He is raising up Haggai, Zechariah, and, and they are playing an important role in encouraging the people of God as they come back from Babylon, you know, to build up the... the the, the temple again and the city again. Um, okay, we'll go to another example. Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, right? 70 weeks, 490 year prophecy ending by the life of Jesus. And what happens in the end of that time prophecy? Like we read, right, how God is raising up John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord, you know, before the last part of this prophecy is fulfilled. And also around this time, of course, he's raising up several other prophets that is writing, you know, the New Testaments like John and Paul and other people. So we see the same thing again. Time prophecy. By the end of that time prophecy, God is raising up a new prophet. It, had, it hadn't been a prophet for a long time then, what we know at least in Israel. Uh, so we see, you know, Abraham gets a time prophecy. In the end of that time prophecy, God raises up a new prophet. Jeremiah gets a time prophecy. By the end of that time, uh, after that time prophecy, God is raising up Haggai and Zechariah. Daniel gets time prophecy 490 years, ending in you know, 34 AD. By the end of that time, John is raised up, and other prophets also are raised up. And another example, last example we'll look at, Daniel. New prophecy from Daniel, Daniel 8, 14. 2,300-year prophecy, uh, ending in 1844. Now... When we have seen this pattern, prophetic sandwich, right? Uh, on each side of a time prophecy, you know, God has a prophet. Um, what would we expect to see around the year 1844? A new, a new prophet, right? That would make sense. We have seen this pattern, like, coming again and again in the, time of, in the history of the people of God, in, in the history of the, the prophets. Always in the end of long time prophecies, which usually is connected with an important you know, time for the people of God, God is raising up a new prophet to be a support and a help and a strength 
uh, this essential gift in this important time, God is raising up a new prophet. So I think for sure we should expect, like we all have already seen, we should expect to see the gift of prophecy uh, until the end and especially in the time of the end. But even more specifically, we could expect to see it around the year 1844. Now, do you think, how many of you think that Satan is a smart guy? You think so, yeah? Yeah, he's, 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 I think he's a really smart guy. Um, uh, and if he is, do you think it could be that he would recognize this pattern? I think, sure, I think he, he knows quite some about the Bible, actually. I think he, he, he would have recognized this pattern. And if he did, what do you think he would do around the year 1844? Inspire Darwin, for example. Yeah, inspire Darwin, for example, exactly. I think he would, he would try to, to, to work on people he can control you know, and lead to, to try to counteract what God wants to do in that time. That's always, you know, again and again, God, Satan is trying to counteract what God wants to do. And exactly, it's very interesting to see what happens. Not use a lot of time for this, but God, several prophets around the year 1844, just around this year, it happens a lot of interesting things. Joseph Smith's prophet is raised up. Andrew Jackson, Charles Hudson Taylor, then of course, Ellen G. White, uh, but also several other things. Actually, a lot of important things happened uh, around this, this time. Uh, this was an important year, like you mentioned, for the rise of Darwinism. 1844 was an important year for the rise of Darwinism, but also actually for communism, for spiritism, secret rapture theories, many, many things also kind of counteracting the dis discovery of the second coming, the truth about the second coming, about the Sabbath and sanctuary, many things. I'm reading a book right now which talks about everything that happened in this year. Now, kind of, you see very clearly how Satan is counteracting uh, actually, these things God wants to, to reveal again to his people. Yes. So what is the book? Um, let me see if I remember it. Ron Dupre has written the book. And uh, No Fear for the Future. That's the name. No Fear for the Future. I think that's the name, you know, right? From the quote of Ellen White. We have no, nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget how he has led us and his teaching in our past history. So, very interesting book. Anyway, uh, I think we could expect to see false prophets come up. Then the question comes, right? How do we know if a prophet is from God or not? How can we know? Because this year, this time, that is a very important question to know the answer to. And also, in the time we are living, right? Uh, until the end, this is an important question to know the answer to. Maybe Bible answers. Maybe. What do you say? Yeah, the Bible is a good help, yeah. Good answers. Yeah, we'll not use a lot of time on it, but we have biblical tests of prophets I think probably you are familiar with. Uh, four of the most important ones is dreams and uh, prophet gets dreams and visions from God, it says. A very important thing is uh, what a prophet says in accordance with uh, the word. It has to be in accordance with the word of God. If not, you know, if, of course, if God inspires, inspired these people to write and he inspires a new prophet, of course, they need to agree with what they say. If not, it's not the same source. Uh, uh, another thing is prophecies of a true prophet must come to pass, unless, of course, there's a conditional prophecy. There are some occasion of that, but, but generally, they have to come to pass. And fourth characteristic, or fourth biblical test, uh, a good one to often, that often helps you clearly to see, that is a true prophet has to bear good fruit. So, Anyway, we'll not use more time to that. We'll not read about this. What, we, what we'll do now, we'll see how much, maybe we'll not look at all of these things. But I want to share 10 or maybe a little bit less reasons to believe in Ellen White or for a, how I think even we can be sure Ellen White is a prophet. The first reason we have talked about already, she came at the right time. She came at a time where we... I think, according to, by studying the Bible, could expect to see a prophet being raised up. She came at the right time. First reason, one, one reason I believe uh, that we can believe that she is a prophet from God. But of course, that is not, well, other prophets as well, so that's not good enough in itself. But it's, it's, it's one reason that confirms that I think she is a prophet. Second thing, she bore good fruits. By the fruits you shall know them, Jesus said. 
and she bore good fruit. It's much that could be said about that. I will give you two examples of that. Uh, listen to this fascinating quote from a secular newspaper uh, in connection when she died, after she died, she died the uh, 16th of July, 1915. In a newspaper, local newspaper, they said it like it's very interesting. They wrote about Ellen White, they wrote, the life of Mrs. White is an example worthy of emulation by all, or, or to be followed, is worthy to be followed by all. She was a humble, devout disciple of Christ and ever went about doing good. Her death marks the calling of another noted leader of the religious thought and one whose almost 90 years were full to overflowing with good deeds, kind words and earnest prayers for all mankind. Very interesting. Secular newspaper, they describe this, you know, church, uh, important leader from this church, and when she dies, they says that her life was an example worthy to be followed by all. It was she ever went around doing good, and her life overflowed with good deeds. Ellen White bore good fruit. We can see many, many, many good fruits this day uh, for, through her work. Many people that are converted and led to Christ, you know, and changed their lives as a result of her books still, you know, this day we're living in. Uh, so she bore good fruit. One more example of that, it's much could be said, but that is one of actually even the enemies of God, even the enemies of her acknowledged or said positively thing, positive things about her. It's very interesting. One of the maybe the most bitter enemies, D.M. Canwright, uh, at her funeral actually, he, he took her, you know, this dead uh, person, Ellen White, by, by the hand and he said, a noble Christian woman has died. Very interesting. Even the, one of the most bitter enemies, he said, he called her, she was a noble Christian woman. She lived a good life. She did good things. So that's the one reason. And the third reason why I believe in, in Ellen White is that she tests also the other tests of a prophet. You know, we looked at, didn't look so closely about the biblical tests of a prophet, but she bore good fruit, but she also passes the other test of a prophet, you know, that it's in accordance with the word of God, right? It's, it's, she gets vision and dreams, and yeah, she, she passes the other test of a prophet as well. Uh, fourth reason is her scientific foreknowledge, I like to call it. Her scientific foreknowledge. Um, you know, in the 1870s, she warned people about, against smoking. She told them that they shouldn't smoke. And actually, not only that, she even warned against second-hand smoking. That you shouldn't even be close to people to smoke. You know, shouldn't. That is bad for you, she said. And, you know, it took about 100 years before science, you know, showed and scientists started to talk about that this is actually bad. You should, especially second-hand smoking, right? It, that's not really a long time ago. It's just a few decades ago when they, you know, concluded with that and started to say that. She said that in, in the 1870s. And what makes this even more special is that in that time, you know, if you had uh, tuberculosis or similar diseases, uh, guess what the doctors recommended you to do? <laughs> Smoke tobacco. That's what they recommended people to do. And in this time, she says, you know, she, says, she warns people against smoking, even secondhand smoking. It's amazing. How could she know? You know, it's a crazy, you know, in a way, or pro thing to say in that time. But I think she could say that because she was inspired by God. And this is, of course, smoking is just one of many examples of things she said that she should have no clue about. Uh, you know, more and more of her counsels today are discovered and confirmed by science. Uh, like, more and more of them are, you know, confirmed. Even actually, so it's interesting, just on the way here yesterday, uh, when we stopped at a petrol station I saw in, a, in the Swedish newspaper there, it talked about new kind of research, new scientific you know, research and results. You know, uh, and it talks about uh, some positive sides of fasting and not eating too much and things like this. That is in perfect accordance with what she wrote more than 100 years ago. And they're like, new research, now we have shown this and that. Uh, like this is something new. No, it's not new. You know, she said these kind of things a long time ago. Uh, so here it is more and more like 
of our councils are proven to be good councils, you know. Uh, and one thing, one more example of that is the China study. Uh, the most comprehensive study in nutrition ever conducted. 500,000 uh, copies of this book has been sold, like really. Uh, and just in short, you know, this shows how much, this shows that the diet has a lot to, see, to say for our health. And uh, basically it says, in short, a plant-based diet, a vegan diet, is, you know, the ideal, usually, for, for mankind, you know, for human beings. Raw food, yeah, and kind of be close to, you know, as close to, you know, very plant-based and all this kind of stuff. This is the, the best diet. I said whole food. Whole food, best yeah, whole food. Yeah, whole food and, you know, plant-based, yeah. And uh, in a way, you know, this big research, this big study is kind of confirming a lot of what she had been saying for a long time about diet and, and nutrition and these kind of things. And I think that is very interesting is God's Nutritionist. Uh, this is a book uh, by a non-Aventist, uh, at least, or maybe he has become an Aventist now, I don't know. Uh, but the thing is, it's a very interesting story. He, he came over, or like through his, basically through his scientific research, he came to some, many of the same conclusions as Colin Campbell that wrote, you know, the, or did the China study. And that, you know, a plant-based diet is the, is the best for us. But then it happened something very interesting. He came over some of the writings of Ellen White on health. And when he came over this, he was so fascinated that she wrote this kind of things like more than 100 years ago. Uh, so what he decided to do, actually, he decided to put together a book where, with, where he's quoting health counsels from Ellen White. And then mixed into that, he come, he, he's quoting science, when science proves... An, says things many years later, you know, confirming what she said. Fascinating book, I have it at home. Uh, uh, five, I think, uh, yeah, 500 quotes from Ellen White on health, and then it's mixed into with scientific research. God's nutritionist. And he's not an artist, but he's very positive. He likes, he's like, he's amazed when he comes to, he travels around to church and see Adventist churches, how they don't, you know, we don't listen more to this council because he thinks, man, these are really good councils. You need to, he's, he's surprised to see that we don't follow them more, you know. It's very interesting. Anyway, so much more could be said of this. This is just a few examples of how we show scientific formula. She said a lot of things she should not have been able to know. And much, much of the things she said, they, are, they were radical in that time. But still, more and more, again and again, they are proven to be true. And every single counsel she has been given in regard to health is good counsel for us to follow this day according to what you know, science has come to. Um, so that's another reason. The, for, the last reason we're going to look at today, then we'll look at some more reasons uh, tomorrow before we then go into look into more the importance, why we need Ellen White, what is the role a little bit, why, you know, what is the point, a little bit about that. But the last thing I want to say a little bit about uh, I believe in Ellen White. Uh, one reason I believe in Ellen White is basically, simply, just her great insights in things. Uh, and, you know, just seeing how what she writes, it makes so much sense. Uh, you know, when you read what she writes, you know, about something, like you, you see it in the Bible afterwards. Like sometimes, you know, she writes about difficult passages, difficult texts. And things you have never understood. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he say that? Why did he not do that? You know. Then you read what she writes about it in the Sarah or wherever it is, and then you say, Yeah, of course, this this makes sense. You know. And and then many times you can see it in the Bible afterwards. Like you, it never came to mind. You didn't understand it. But then you read her and she explains something that you were wondering about, and then you see, of course, this this makes sense. And and many difficult texts. Like yes, it's so good insight. And in many topics, like she writes about so many different topics, like if you go to prayer or different stories of the Bible, like if you look up, you know, I have many different Bible commentaries on my computer, and if you look up many different Bible commentar commentaries on, the, on a specific verse or a specific story, again and again and again, like almost all the time, you know, you find what she writes on the topic, like sometimes maybe she doesn't write so much, but, but if you find that she writes something, you see all the time basically that, what she writes is the best on the topic, you know. It's, it's so good explained. It's, so, it's just such an insight and it makes so much 
uh, sense. So just that fact by reading that, you just, I think you just sense by reading it uh, that man, this, this is inspired. You know, this is inspired by the same spirit that inspired uh, the Bible. There was a guy, um, a violinist, famous violinist. His name was Fritz Kreisler. I don't know how you say it. Anyway, he was, he was going to travel from Hamburg, Germany, to uh, London to give a concert, a violinist concert. And uh, he had, a, you know, when he was out there traveling, he had one hour before, before the ferry was leaving or before the boat was sailing. And uh, during this time, you know, he went, he went into a music shop. And, uh, but when he was inside this music shop, you know, the owner of the shop, he asked if he could, he could look at his violin. You know, uh, the violin he was carrying with him. So yeah, sure, he could look at that one. And then he came back after some time, together with two policemen. And uh, they said to him, you are under arrest. Uh, for what? You know, he asked. He didn't understand. You have Fritz Kreisler's violin. <laughs> uh, but I am Fritz Kreisler, he said. You can't pull that on us, you know, they said. You have to, you have to come to the station. And they took him to the station, or like they wanted to take him to the station, but he didn't have time, you know, he, he needed to catch this, you know, boat when he was sailing. So he didn't have time for long, you know, explanations. So basically what he said is, you know, give me the violin, I, I can play something for you. So they gave him the violin, and he, he played a piece that he was, you know, a nice piece. And he asked, you know, are you satisfied? And I said, yeah, they were satisfied. They understood this was the guy. And, you know, claiming to be inspired by God, to be a prophet, it's a bold claim. And, uh, you know, it may be hard to believe that some, if someone says this, if you meet someone, man, I'm a prophet of God, you know, it, it would be hard to believe. It's a bold claim. Uh, but if we let, you know, when we let Ellen White play the violin, when we come to her writings, you know, with an honest heart, we will find that she, it is true, she is inspired, we will, we will hear the voice of God, you know, speaking to our soul uh, through her writings. So, yeah, it is time to hear and heed the message of Christ through his prophets. It is time to study and embrace the message of Christ through his prophets. If we only do that, I think, if we only do that, if we take you know, her writings, if we only study them, if we only read them, you know, and, you know, take them to our hearts, Jesus will come back to this earth in a short time. The work will be finished. God has given us so much light, so much guidance of how we should work, how we should, you know, what we need to do to reach the world. If we hear these messages in a short time, Jesus will come back. Yeah, that's what I plan to share, or, yeah, that's what we have time to share today. Are there any questions? Yeah, or comments? Yeah, uh, we will, uh, the thought for next, tomorrow, is we will look some more reasons for, for how to believe in Ellen White, but then we'll use most of the time uh, to look on the importance, you know, why do we need these gifts, uh, the importance of it, and then, so that's tomorrow, and then on Monday, we will look on the foretold attack of her writings. She writes that Satan's the very last deception of Satan. Basically, there will be an attack on her writings. And we'll look at this quote and see what it says more because it talks a little bit about, about how the attack will be. And then we'll, we'll look a little bit on, I think, how we see this in the church today. This attack, uh, it, it's, it's fulfilled. And we try to see, and we'll look at some things she says that will help us to not, you know, fall for those attacks because this is an attack mainly inside of the church, actually. Not from outside. You will have both. We'll, I think it's very interesting, very important things. Uh, you hear, you know, even, uh, yeah, things among, you know, leaders and pastors say things that I think is, yeah, basically dangerous. On, 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 I think it's because of this attack they have, yeah. Anyway, we'll come back to that. It's, that will be a very interesting part. 
Okay, uh, let's let's close with a with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for that you are a God that wants to communicate with us. Again and again, you, you, know, you give us so much light. You tell us so many things. And uh, help us, God, to, to trust in you and your guidance. And to take time to hear and to study what you have told us through your prophets. And also not only to study it, but also to heed it and take it to heart. And to, by your grace, you know, live out and follow uh, the guidance and the instruction that you give us, you give us through that. Uh, thank you that you, you will do that. You will help us with that. In Jesus' name, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.